second coming. I quote from here. Not many folks believe the Lord is coming back, but I know he is. And I'll, well, that's why I'll be here just watching, waiting, sitting in my rocking chair, just waiting. Uh, Mr. Simmons put the finishing touches on a concrete block tomb in Old Moody Cemetery. He made arrangements. He says, uh, I just want to be sitting with my easy chair with my back to the wall. I'm waiting for it all to start all over again. You may be right. <laughs> We're sitting there laughing. He may be the only one that's going to score. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that, that reminds me. I, I, I shouldn't, you know, this as I say, of course, you always feel like, what the hell. Well, actually, you know how you feel. You really do. The weekend, I suspect, more wars have been created by failed weekends than any other single uh, factor in human existence. <laughs> I mean... Well, you know, because you see, the weekend is very important to people. There is a thing floating around in the back of your head all the time that it's going to happen this weekend. This is going to be the ultimate groovy, fantastic, totally ecstatic weekend. Then what happens? Nothing. You go up and down the escalator three or four times at Alexander's big weekend. It starts to rain. It, you know... So the big high point is to go down and get yourself a double hamburger at McDonald's. That's the big point of the night. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, and, I, and I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I'm reading about this old duffer sitting there, you know, with his back to the wall and in his rocking chair, the mausoleum. It reminds me of a story I once read when I was a, I, I was a kid. I read this story. See, you, almost everybody is, in, is infected by stuff he doesn't even hardly remember. I mean, you know, and I and I don't agree with, with you know the Freudians who believe that every every big moment in your life has to do with something involving sex or you know some big traumatic thing. Your daddy says he doesn't love you, all that jazz. Oh no, I think that there are other things which scar the soul far deeper that are never discussed. It's like one time I'm sitting in study hall, see, there was Mr. Wilson, and they were walking around, and the Mr. Wilson was in charge of the study hall. He taught history, see, so. He's walking around in there, and uh, I am supposed to be reading something, you know, official book, like uh, Silas Marner, some jazz like that, see. But actually, I <laughs> actually I got this magazine, which I found on the steps going up to, you know, up to, up to the third floor in school. I find this magazine, and uh, 
I'm reading a short story in it. Now, I don't know whether any of you ever heard of this short story. It's about a, it's about uh, this guy that lives in this old house, see? He's very rich. And uh, would you please, Nick, uh, get ready for it. I'm going to need that here in a second now. See, I'm sitting there in, in study hall, little realizing I'm about to have a terrible traumatic experience. And uh, everybody else is sitting around there reading stuff like uh, geography, uh, algebra, and uh, Esther Jane Alberry sitting up there in the front there, and she's working away, and I can see her. And it's a calm day. Can you remember? You know how it was to be in study hall, just sort of calm and sort of drowsing away. It's kind of a droopy, drowsy, warmish day. And I'm reading the story. And it, and it started out, you know, the stories that I was used to reading as a kid, you know, usually uh, pretty straightforward stuff. You know, Sam the Young Shortstop uh, was a, <laughs> a typical story I read. Or G8 and his battle aces. And his eyes were always narrowing to slits as he put his his uh, deadly spad into a dive of ripping into the devil squadron. Well, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But this is a story about a guy who lived in an old house up in New England. I'm reading it. At first it was boring. And he has a son. And this guy's rich. And he's building something in his basement. Oh, I knew guys that built stuff in the basement. You know, my old man, for example, he used to build stuff in the basement once in a while. In fact, uh, well, that's another story. You won't even mention that tonight, because it's totally irrelevant. Or as I prefer to say, irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant, which is a little slightly different meaning than relevant. And uh, I'm sitting there reading this story. And it's a mysterious story. I'm beginning to realize this is a little more to it than was meeting the eye. And it hit me. This old guy is building a thing in the basement so that when he is dead, he could be preserved in his natural setting. And this thing is a gigantic refrigerator. Now, wait a minute. Listen to the story, you guys. Listen to this. It's a refrigerator, a glass case. And in this case, he had built the tee of a golf course that he always played on when he was alive. Like the seventh tee, see? And it was actually a, a reproduction of the seventh tee. It was grass, the whole bit, you know? And it's at seven, you know, seven, 428 yards. It was a tee, see? Just tee up your ball here. And uh, he died. The old guy decided when he had it finished, he was going to die. So he did. He died. And then uh, his lawyer came. And, of course, the kid thought he hit the jackpot now. You know, he's got the old man's dough. And uh, what happened was the lawyer says, no, I'm sorry, that the, there's one clause in the, in the will, and that is that you must keep the refrigeration unit going in this tremendous thing that your old man built. That's the only clause. If you, if, you, if you stop it, forget it. The money all goes to the International Chicken Breeders Association, of which he was a member. And, uh, you know, for their retirement fund. I mean, for old chickens that, you know, aren't laying so good anymore, they retire them, put them on this chicken farm. So the guy says, oh, well, there's nothing to that. I'll keep this going. And so he goes down in the basement. First time he's seen it. He never saw it before. So he's a kid. He walks down, and there's his old man. Looks exactly like real life. Exactly like he always looked. And he's wearing his knickers. He's got on his sweater. And he's casually holding... An Arnold Palmer model driver with a whip steel shaft. And he's casually teeing up a ball 
on the seventh tee of his favorite country club. You know, old smoky country club. Looks exactly like the machinery's got tremendous refrigeration unit. It's keeping the old man looking groovy. He looks exactly the way he looked even better than he did in life. You know, he looks great. He's got his hat on, he's got his wearing his golf cap. Whole bit. And you can see he's got his favorite golf cart. Is in the case with him there. You know, the one with the STP sticker on the back and all that. And he's about to tee up a ball on the seventh tee. And there's a faint smile playing about his face. He doesn't look dead. He looks alive. Really alive. A faint smile of evil irony. He is about to tee up for the final drive. The ultimate shot into the rough. Well, the kid comes down, he looks at the old man, you know, he's astounded. He figures the old man any minute, I was going to say something. The looks just exactly the way he looked in life, you know, standing And the machine is going, you could hear the whole machine pounding. Tremendous refrigeration unit down the basement. It's not easy, you know, to keep a guy looking exactly the way he looks in life. Especially if he's standing on the seventh tee there of his favorite golf course. It's booming away. Well, the kid goes back upstairs. He pours himself a little bit of the old man's uh, favorite uh, sherry. Has a little Stilton cheese. Calls up a couple of his buddies and says, uh, come on over. And I'm reading this. See, I'm in study hall. So his friends come over, and they sit there and say, well, the old man finally kicked off. Ah, I guess you got all the dough. He says, well, yeah, except for one thing. He says, what, what, what's, what's the one thing? He says, we hear that sound. It's going in the basement. Well, the old man's down there. Come on, you want to go down and take a look at him? And so they come down, and all of them, his friends come down. There's the old guy sitting there. Or standing. He's just casually leaning. He's still got his golf cart. Smiling with a vague, ironical smile out at the world. I'm telling you, I'm beginning to sweat now. I'm reading this. All the other kids in the study hall are reading stuff like, uh, you know, Lady of the Lake. Uh, there's a couple of them, you know, reading stuff like Julius Caesar, the Latin business, you know. And I'm reading this evil story, having a traumatic experience. Have you ever, kid, have you ever thought of getting your old man preserved, keeping him in a basement, in a tank? You know, just like he was in real life. You whap. machine kept pounding. And 10, 15 days went by. 20 days went by. The kid is living it up pretty good. Living in the big house. You know, once in a while, there's a big party. And then it came. The first month's electric bill arrived. It is $13,942. Keep the old man down in the basement. The thing is gone. The kid is staggered. He calls the electric company. He says, what is this? Is this a mistake? He says, no. That thing uses electricity like you never believed. But the guy's got to do it. If he turns it off, forget it. The lawyer's there in a second. Zap. The international chicken farmers have got all the scratch. The dough. 
the second month, the third month go by. And at the end of 18 months, the old man's fortune is reduced to zero. The old man discovered the secret. You can take it with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Well, I'm sitting at home. Smokes. Thinking about that. Well, you know, that's not the kind of stuff that they, uh, you know, a 14-year-old kid, uh, you know, is used to, to absorbing. So that night, after I read that story, uh, by the way, I, I, I'm curious, did anybody ever, any of you, read that story? Ever hear of it? I have never met anybody else who read it. Never. Maybe I didn't read it at all. Maybe it was wish projection. I mean, you know, seeing my old man down in the basement. Although, if, if he was to be caught in his favorite sport... <laughs> have you ever thought... <laughs> can, you, can you imagine yourself getting laid away in your favorite, uh, you know, your favorite activity? <laughs> it could be great, you know. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, I don't know whether this story really existed or not, but I, I always remember this fantastic, refrigerated, thumping, gigantic, machinery-ridden mausoleum. Which reminds me, speaking of mausoleum, this is WOR, New York. Gigantic, electrically driven, ice-tinged, you know, half of the people around here are frozen in those same positions. I mean, you could take entire offices here if you can encase them in plastic. Pump out the air real quick, you know, and refrigerate it. The guys wouldn't even know it. They'd all be sitting there. Their paper cup full of coffee from the chock full of nuts. You know, their hand reaching out to grope for the, a passing member of the stenography pool. You know? <laughs> About to make a call for lunch. I'd love to see John Diatolo frozen forever in his favorite position, calling up a buddy over at the YNR for lunch. There he is, frozen eternally, sitting with the phone up to his desk, you know, just like that. Bob Alden. Can you imagine Bob Alden frozen forever? As he's sitting there with a vaguely bugged look on his face as he's thinking of the newest thing he's going to get at Abercrombie & Fitch, that new electrical-driven wilderness model can opener. He's sitting there. Oh, yeah, you can buy one of those, you know, for your, your tent. It's wind-driven, you know. For those of you know, people who don't have electricity up there, you're really roughing it, you know. Palisades has a ride. Palisades has a fun. Come on over. Shows and dancing are free. Shows the parking so gee. Come Let the tears over. Parking scene is so cool with the time by the boat. Palisades Amusement Park. Swings all day and after dark. Ride the coaster. Get cool in the waves of the pool. You'll have fun. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Over. Yeah. Oh, fun lovers. Palisades is wide open. And if you're going to come into New York any one of these days, you ought to make that scene. They have a couple of hundred rides. You know, Palisades Amusement Park, one of the last great amusement parks in the country. And this is their last year, so if you're going to make that amusement park scene at all, you better do it this year and forever hold your peace. So come on over and swim in the big pool at Palisades. Bum, ba -dum, bum, bum, bum. Feeling 
and low, blue as can be. And I want to go back, want to go back to the man I used to be. Take me back, take me back, back where I come from. I don't know where it's gone, man I used to be. Feeling sad, feeling sad. It's a long, long way back home, and I want to go back to the man I used to be. I'm Johnny Cash. It's never too late to get back in shape. That's not saying it's easy, but I work at it. Even when I'm on the road, just a few minutes a day is worth ten years of living on the other end. Exercise makes your heart beat stronger. So if you want to get back to the man you used to be, but don't know how, Right to the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports, Washington, D.C., 20202. They'll send you a free booklet. And so, oh, oh, <laughs> but I'm thinking about the story. I say, oh, my God, what a story. So I go home. And by the way, this is New York. Thought you ought to know that. I mean, don't get mad. We're not coming from Indianapolis. This is the big time. I mean, you're, you're listening to big stuff here. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. So I, I go home that night, and I can't get this story out of my mind, see. And so the old man comes running into the kitchen. He, he used to come home about 6 o'clock at night. See, I'd get home from school about 4, 35 o'clock, something like that, you know, fooling around the way back down at George's candy store and stuff like that. So I come home, and I'm sitting in the kitchen, and the old man comes running up the back steps. He always runs up, bang, slams the door open. And he was the kind, you know, that by the time he'd hit the middle of the linoleum in the kitchen, roughly eight feet from the door, he was halfway undressed. He would drop his clothes as he runs in, see. And by the time he gets to the dining room, he's, he's down to nothing but his long johns, you know, with the buttons off, flying everywhere. So he sits down at the kitchen table, opens a can of beer, wearing his BVDs. Oh, what a day at the office. Gee. And he starts sucking at the can of beer. <clears throat> oh, he was great. I mean, he... Uh, have you ever heard of a creative burper... I mean, I, 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 I've, you know, I, the burp as an art form has always appealed to me. I've known people who could burp an entire, well, eight, maybe nine octave range. Tremendous depth. Great body. Staying power, that's what counts. You know, get that, get that staying power in there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have these little, play, eep, you know, little things like that. But the old man, he just, he lets it go. in the window shutter. And uh, he's drinking a beer, reading the paper. White Sox have dropped 19 straight. Sitting there, you know. And I see him then. I see him half through the haze. I'm watching him. I could see him in a glass case down in the basement, down by the uh, coal bin, you know. I could see him there sitting in his favorite position with a can of Blatt's beer in his hand, see. Preserved forever in his BVDs. Drinking a can of beer. Reading the sport page. Getting mad because, you know, the Sox have dropped their 19th consecutive game. Haven't scored a run since late May. And he said, How could you, can you imagine people in your family preserved in their, their, their thing, their way? How do you see people in your house? I mean, how do you see them? If I, if I, instead of word association, what's that people association? You know, if I come up to you and it says, uh, Cousin Fred, how do you see him? Looking kind of silly in a, in a, in a half, uh, 
developed picture out of somebody's instamatic? But the way you see him, or do you see him real? You know, you see him preserved. I'm thinking of the old man now, sitting there preserved, with the machinery pounding in the basement. He's forever drinking a can of beer. Forever looking bugged because the socks have missed another one. He looks up at me. He says, "What are you doing? What, what, what's the matter with you?" You're looking kind of sick. He had an instinct like that. I swear, what do you mean? I've never been a good liar. What do you mean? He says, what's eating you? By the way, I had the hippest old man, quite possibly since Genghis Khan. He was extremely hip, really was. I mean, I mean, it's very discouraging to discover that your old man is hipper than you are. You know, most kids automatically assume they're hipper than their old man, but... How would, you, well, how would you handle an old man who, like, uh, uh, spent the formative years of his life being a top pool shark? Can you, t- can you actually believe that you could be hipper than him? You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like spending your life with a... You know, he was a hustler, really. I mean, he was a great pool player. When he was 16, he used to go around and hustle guys. So I'm looking at the old man, and he says, what's eating you? Nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'll come out. I said, yeah, well, then nothing wrong. <laughs> then I look over and I see my old lady. She is leaning over the stove. And she is stirring a red cabbage. And she's wearing this rump-sprung chenille bathrobe. Kind of a Chinese red. Got the petrified egg on the lapel. See, she's stirring away there. She's got her hair up in curlers. She had these aluminum rheostats that she wore in her head, you know. And the, she's stirring away at the red cabbage. And then I see her, frozen forever, all the time, in a glass case. With the machine going. Yeah, and what is she doing? She's hanging over the sink, see, with a Brillo pad. She's wearing a Chinese red chenille bathrobe, rump sprung. Got her hair up in these aluminum rheostats. And she's looking down at the sink. And the sink is just going... But the sink used to talk to us like that all the time. You know, just every once in a while, no, no, no warning at all. We're sitting there, you know, dinner time, eating away there, and all of a sudden the sink goes... My mother get up and go over and look down at it. And up would come like, uh, you know, four or five... Uh, cups full of uh, old used coffee grounds from next door. Not ours. Next door. See, we used to exchange our garbage back and forth. We'd come through the sink. <laughs> or once in a while, like an apple cord come up. One time a fish came up. He was alive. So what are you going to do? You know? Yeah, he came up. He's flopping around. It was a fish. <laughs> so I see him, you know, frozen there forever and all the time. These moments of, of, uh, of satori. You know, these moments of total insight. You don't want to have them, kid. Just stay, steer clear of them. They're not good for you. Corrode your brain. Bad news. I mean, it's like like the other day I get this letter from this guy. See, talking about you know total brain corrosion. The other day I was mentioning, if you remember, I was talking about how great the starlings are. You know, it's, it's the starling is a bird that is just like people. That's why people hate him. He's the only competitor we got. Oh yeah, sneaky, dirty. Walks around, talks out of the side of his beak. This is not the bluebird of happiness. 
obviously. Oh, yeah. A, a starling is capable. You teach a, tar, a starling how to talk, and you know what the first thing out of his mouth is? I don't have to tell you what it would be. Because I've seen it happen. <laughs> That's right. Starling is the only bird that, that, that can be taught to swear, but who understands it. Knows exactly what he's saying. Which is not the same as that little budgie. You teach him to say something he doesn't know. You know, you hot, hot, and quack. But a good starling, he uh, he uses the words right. So we hate him. So a guy hears that, and he says, Shepherd, he says, you frequently compare man to such animals as the starling. And the cockroach, you are correct. They are with us. And that's one of the reasons why we, we, we recognize a rival. You know, man, people always instinctively recognize a rival. You know, you know you're, sitting, you're sitting with this chick, you know, in this place, in a fancy restaurant. This guy comes up. He says, oh, how are you, Charlie? Instantly you recognize, oh, this guy's not talking to me. He's trying to make the scene with his chick. I could tell that. You can recognize it instantly. The rival detecting mechanism in man is infallible. I'll let you think about that for a minute. I'll marinate your head for a while with that one. <laughs> but it is. You can, you can detect a rival instantly. That's why most writers hate all other writers. Terrible. Oh, yeah. Now, when they're being officially interviewed, they'll say something. But listen, in the kitchen, what do you think in the kitchen when Mailer's fooling around, you know, in and out of the refrigerator, and his wife says, what do you think of Kurt Vonnegut? Oh, believe me, man. It is bad news. So the instinct revival detection, the instinct detection instrument is very acute. We recognize that when all is said and done and the earth gets cool and, you know, they're fine. Do you know that many scientists believe we're on the beginnings of another ice age? Did you know that? You didn't, really? Are you kidding? You didn't know that? As a matter of fact, uh, there was a big piece in one of the big British newspapers recently, uh, one of the top geophysical uh, organizations of finding that, that they had definite evidence. In fact, they, they feel very, very, it's not even a, fa a theory any longer. They feel it's a fact that we are in the beginning of another ice age, that there have been four massive ice ages that have been charted geophysically, uh, geologically. And uh, they, they, uh, they feel that we are in the beginning of the fifth major ice age. And that the, the, the one of the curious things that they can't uh, quite figure out is that the, the changes occur quite rapidly when they begin. In other words, there is a great quiescent period in the Earth. Like, for example, when, the, when an ice age is in the middle of the ice age, it remains static for a long time. And uh, it will be just that way. There it is. Now, as it's changing from ice age to, let's say, uh, a non-ice age, whatever that would be called, the change is sudden and uh, almost precipitous, without very much ex explanation. Suddenly, the ice will begin to retreat up to the ice cap, and it will retreat very quickly. And then there will begin a period like we're just uh, supposedly finishing, in which the Earth will be relatively stable for millions of years, and nothing will happen. The ice will remain pretty much where it is. And then all of a sudden, zap, in a period of comparative short historical time, the Ice Age will return, and return very quickly. And they say it takes a, a remarkably short period of time. And so there is a lot of belief today that, uh, that, that you know, people keep saying 
winters aren't the same as they used to be and summers aren't the same as they used to be. You've heard this. How many times have you heard this? Many times. That actually this is true. <laughs> that it is actually true. And even though uh, uh, guys that can bring out statistics that in 1888 uh, that it was only one degree, they say that that one or two degrees, friend, is crucial in this discussion. Even though it may only be one degree cooler or one degree warmer, that is a crucial degree. And that, uh, that it, the, there is a tremendous difference. And also, we're always talking about, uh, uh, generally when they drop these statistics out, they're talking about average of the year. They dis they, uh, they're now beginning to say that the average isn't what counts. What does count is the extremes. In other words, it could conceivably get much hotter or much colder in one given time. But the belief that there is an advancing ice age is being held by a lot of people. I mean, serious scientists. And so they feel that within a couple hundred years, you know, a lot of the theories, a lot of the ideas that people have of the future, uh, you, you don't see many science fiction stories written along that base because most writers are not really interested in environment. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're interested in, you know, sex, passion, soul, man, and so forth. But it, 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 that's one of the things that bother me, reading so many writers, is that it's like the people don't even live in, in, uh, in the world. You read Philip Roth, it never rains, it never snows, nothing, you know. Everybody just sits around and fetches all the time. There's just no outside world. Well, this, uh, this is a very, very minute, uh, partially obscured vision of man, that we are all affected by this, no matter whether you're bugged or not, whether you're, whether you're sensitive or not. It still rains. It rains on the hard hats and the hippies alike, friend. And uh, there it is. It gets cold and it gets warm. It gets cold and it gets warm and the ice comes down. And hardly anybody ever writes a science fiction story based in the year, say, 3890, when it's all over. The year 3890 and nothing but a great sheet of ice lays quietly over what was once Staten Island. Seventy feet thick. It extends all the way to Costa Rica. A great sheet of ice. And there's a tiny band around the waistline of the globe where the temperature occasionally rises to the low 50s. And vast gales come howling out of the north. Month in, month out, year in, year out, eon in and eon out. A vast ice age. And new animals roam the globe that have come about because of this ice age. Great hairy apes enormous paddle-footed mammoth elephants covered with shaggy fur. And a few scurrying turtle-like creatures dart in and out of the flickering waters of the equatorial tide. This is what's left of man struggling to hide from that cold blue sun. Boy, that'll take care of all you guys that dig skiing. 
I'm serious that, that, that this is an absolute uh, theory that is being held. I'm not just you know, throwing it out. But this guy uh, writes me his letter. He says, Shepard, he says, you know, you, 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 you talk about the starling and the cockroach, and it's quite true. Man recognizes a rival. That when all of that is done, the, the, the cockroach is going to survive. You know, he's, he's persisted uh, almost unchanged throughout all these eons. Absolutely unchanged. Are all set in there? Just be calm. No problem. I'll play it easy. Listen to Jerry. Listen to Nick. It'll work out, friend. Yes, sir. Uh, there ain't no... You know, it's, 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 I'll give you one word of warning, though. It is more than a coincidence that, uh, that another a synonym for the devil over the years has been Nick. That's uh, true. You, you've never heard the devil called Mike or Fred. Old Fred, you know, old evil Charlie. No, it's always Nick. In thousands of different languages. Okay, Nick? Maybe that'll explain some things to your old man, right? Okay? <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I had one, one of the spookiest experiences of my life involved another very basic creature. And uh, have any of you ever seen... I don't know what the, the, the re relationship with the, uh, with the horseshoe crab is. But one time, and this this is a story. Uh, it's it's a it's not the kind of story that you're going to see in the Wild Kingdom. It's just a strange moment. And uh, I was in the army at this time, and uh, I was in a in a place that was complete tropics. I mean, so hot. Oh man, the temperature was about oh average in the daytime, a hundred hundred and five, and at night it would drop down to ninety. You could feel it was really felt cool at night when it was 90 degrees. And the humidity was always 85%, 90, 95. Everything was sweating. You'd sit in the tent. We had, had these little uh, pup tents, you know, shelter half tents, and the sun would bake down on them all day long. And you could just see the canvas, the shelter half, just sweating. You couldn't figure out where the moisture came from. Just sweating all the time sand, Spanish grass, scrubs. Yeah, they had a couple of snakes that were interesting there, too. In fact, there was, there was one snake in that area there that they, that they said that if the snake bit you, and by the way, it didn't really bite. You know, you're, you're used to thinking, when you think of a snake biting, he strikes. You think of a, of a cobra striking, biting. You think of a, of a rattler. When he strikes, he bang, he bites. A curious kind of snake. You know, there's a there's a deadly snake that doesn't bite. It chews. I'm serious. Very serious. This snake doesn't hurt you at all when it bites. He just sort of grabs a hold of you and just sort of chews. And man, you got about five seconds at the end of the ball game, the end of the road. What snake am I talking about? You know anything about that snake? That snake does not grow over quite uh, quite possibly the biggest one is around 13, 14 inches. Tiny snake. Average is about 10 inches, 12 inches. And even the baby ones, the thing may have babies, and little tiny things are about the, the size of a worm, really, are intensely, totally deadly. And they're beautiful. Quite possibly the most beautiful of all snakes, if you can call a snake beautiful given that uh, uh, qualifying clause. 
Here we had these snakes around, so we'd see them once in a while. And you rarely ever see them, by the way, because they spend most of their time in, uh, like down on the bottom of uh, scrub grass, buried. You don't even see them there, uh, like in stumps. One of the guys was killed in our outfit. Uh, I, I didn't know the guy, but he's in, in another company. But another guy was uh, with him at the time. And they were, they were digging up these stumps. It's a Sigma Corps outfit. And the guy said, hey, look at this. And he reaches down, and this thing got him. Just gently. Just sort of grabbed a hold of him like that. And he was dead, just like that. Now, one day, I'm in a Jeep with another guy, and we were riding along a trail, just a long one-track road that had been laid in there, and the palm trees are arching overhead, hot. All of a sudden, he says, what's that? And he stops the car and says, what, do you hear what I, What's the sound there? What's that sound? And we could hear something coming from our right. Through the, through the undergrowth. You hear this stuff. Strange sound. sound. And all of a sudden, what the hell's that? Coming out of the palmettos, you saw this great, black, strange-looking blanket that was kind of advancing. It was making a skittering, crazy, skittering, chittering sound. And that next instant, the entire Jeep is surrounded by these things. It covers the whole road for about 30 feet behind us and about 100 yards ahead of us. Just a tremendous blanket. They were evil, strange, spastic-looking creatures. Like a, like a curious nightmare of nature. We just sat in the Jeep and waited till they just moved on past. We waited for 40 minutes. We were in the middle of a migrating herd of land crabs. Have you ever seen land crabs? Tremendous things. Great, long, uh, enormous feelers. Eyes, the chittering sound. Like a million strange, distorted spiders. Land crabs by the thousands moving. I sat there with this guy. Metropolis. Metropolis had never been out of the city in his life until he got in Company K. Metropolis is the color of used pasta. He is white. What's that? I said, I don't know, man. The earth has got the worst-looking case of crabs I ever saw. Look at it. Unbelievable. He said, I ain't getting out of this Jeep. We just sat there, and they just kept moving. Around the tires. Around the front and back. Under the Jeep. Just a great herd of them. And suddenly, just as quickly as they came, they're gone. Nothing. The land crabs had disappeared. The migration took maybe 45 minutes to get across that road. There must have been 200,000 of them, or better. And do you know, for months after that, we didn't see a single land crab? I don't know where they went. Oh, what's the name of the snake? You're curious about the snake? Somebody called him Sir David Merrick. It's not him. He just... He, he, 
he, he, he doesn't nibble like that. He strikes like a hooded cobra. Now, that'll be your homework for tonight. Uh, that'll appear in the Blue Book exam for next semester. Bring it up big. Thank you. 